You've heard of talking man to man. Today, we are talking fan to fan. All right, welcome to Fan to Fan, an entity of INC Sports. Today, we welcome a passionate footy fan and president of the 309, Drew Clark. Drew, thanks for taking the time out of your day to join us. How's it going? It's going good, Coach. Thanks for having me. I'm sport I know you're not familiar, that familiar with, so I'm excited to talk about it. No, it's it's well documented out there on the internet how unfamiliar I am with the sport, but I am I'm open-minded. I actually had the opportunity several months ago to talk to uh, we've got some podcast friends that are from uh, the UK obviously big time uh, soccer fans so I, I've gotten to talk to those guys about it a little bit too so my mind is open so I'm here to be uh, to be swayed and to be drawn in sucked into the world of soccer or maybe we'll call it football for your sake so the 309 is a supporters club for is a supporters club uh, supporters group, maybe, for the USL2 Soccer Club Peoria City. And I'd like to dive more into that later. Uh, but first, I'm more interested in getting to know the origins of your football fandom. Like, where did it all begin? I mean, I, I want to know how you got sucked in to the world's most popular sport. Yeah, so to really begin, again, this goes all the way back to 2008. But this is when I'm a small kid, right? I'm 25, so this is a few years ago. And I was at my grandparents' house at the time, and there were no sports on. It was like during the middle of the day, and I was just playing around the remote. I think it was like what seven six. Anyways, I'm not. I don't remember how old I was, but I'm sitting there and I'm going, "What is this Champions League final? What is this?" Like I just clicked on it. There was a red team and there was a blue team, and I was like, oh, "Okay." I, I remember I like went into my grandpa's office and jumped on his computer. I was like, "What is the Champions League?" It's the biggest trophy in Europe. Some would argue it's the biggest trophy outside of the World Cup. And uh, Manchester United was playing against Chelsea. There's an infamous video of one of the, there was a penalty shootout in this game. And uh, the, the player, uh, John Terry, slipped when he went to go take the penalty and missed it and cost Chelsea a Champions League final. Um, so it was, I, I remember I got back and I was like, okay, this is kind of fun. I want to watch this. And then... I remember I grew up in Lewistown, Illinois, so it is a small, <laughs> there's not much out there in Fulton County. There's probably no soccer fields available out there. And I was watching um, the, the uh, I think it was the World Cup that was hosted in South Africa. And then that's when it really started kicking off. I followed Germany and I said, all right, I have this club called Manchester United. I know a little bit about them. And then I have this club or this this national team called Germany. So I was like, okay, I've got my two teams settled. And I, I have Google, so I'm going to research these teams as much as I can. So that's how the origin started, just out of the blue when I was bored one day. So I'm, I'm going to put my ignorance on display here. Can you tell me what is the difference between the Champions League and the Premier League? So the cha so how the Premier League works is every single country typically has a top flight of football. In England, there is so many. So the Premier League, only teams from England one, maybe a team from Wales is allowed to play in that competition. So um, it's the highest flight of English football. And then there's this thing called the Champions League. Now, every single continent has a footballing, a governing body. This one is known as UEFA. The United States has CONCACAF. Then there's one down in South Africa. So these were all established by FIFA. So Champions League, think of it as the March Madness, where it's a super long competition. And every team you have to place so high or get in through qualifying rounds to get into this competition. And it has the best and the best from all the leagues in Europe. And they play in this, you know, season long tournament that runs basically from, I would say September, don't quote me on this, but September to October, all the way till around May. And there's a lot of money involved. So a lot of teams want to get into that competition because it can really help your club out financially. So if I'm understanding this, so you're saying like, for example, like the Premier League is basically England, the UK's own personal league, but the best of the best teams play in the Champions League. The Champions League. Now, you can argue the best league in the world 
There's actually a site that ranks. Uh, FIFA comes out every single year. I think it goes through a third party that actually shows the best leagues in the world. The EPL is rated number one in the world in terms of quality, the evaluation of clubs, things like that. So, yeah, but and how it works is and they always kind of revise it. So the top four teams on the ladder, there's a only they don't do a playoff system there in the top flight. So the top four teams will qualify for the Champions League. The other one will qualify for the Europa League, which is a watered down version of the Champions League. And then last year, two years or last year, they introduced a thing called the Europa Conference League. And they also have those positions. These are just trophy competitions, turn you know, for teams to get some silverware, and then of course get money as well. Gotcha, makes sense. So one thing I've always been fascinated about when it comes to like the Premier League specifically is the whole like relegation and promotion system. Um, when I spoke to my friends from the UK, you know, they they were kind of you know they always say like it'd be fascinating if it worked for like the NFL, but. Over here, it's so weird because the leagues are so different and the way they're structured where, like, the league actually owns the I – mean, yeah, there's owners, but, like, the league owns the the teams, basically, where over there, like, every club is really its own entity, right? Or at least that's the way I kind of understand it. It's a little bit different now because, right, the Saudi Arabian actually government owns a team. But, yeah, everyone's allowed their clubs. They're allowed – they're the ones that are allowed to control the finances. They're subject to rules – but it's not just like overnight the Denver Broncos and less relocated would just disappear. But we have examples where clubs will get relegated over and over and over again, and then they just go to the administration and disappear off the face of the map. So if you're terrible, I mean, it, it's really realistic that you could you could be done for, right? Yep. If you don't, uh, there's there's a long history of owners who take money out of the club or do shady stuff, um, and basically ruin that whole town's experience for that club. They're I'm trying to think of an example, but there's there's well documented on Wikipedia of just defunct clubs nowadays. That's that's very interesting because I'm sure there's plenty of American sports teams that many of us wish would have gone defunct uh, by now, but they're still hanging on by a thread. So what you mentioned FIFA, which got my mind kind of, uh, you know, my wheels turning a little bit thinking about I watched that documentary right on the the big controversy that happened that led to like the World Cup ending up in Qatar and all that stuff. And uh, I, I'm kind of curious, like from a footy aficionado, like what's your perspective on that whole situation? Doesn't surprise me because there's so much money in football that there really is greed. And while, yes, they were going into these com- these countries and helping build football infrastructure, at the same time, they were accepting money in sports washing. Uh, Qatar is a very interesting country, especially how much they're pouring into that to try to develop a footballing nation, a really good national team. China tried doing that a few years ago. Um, they would bring in high-profile Brazilian names, coaches, give them very ludicrous, ludicrous contracts, and it didn't work out for them as well. Saudi Arabia, if you look right now, Ronaldo was able to go over there. They tried getting messy, and it's just the same situation. But when you have power and you have that many countries involved in votes, uh, it, I feel like it's just like any other thing that you see. There is a lot of corruption in FIFA and Anyone can come in and try to say they want to stop it. But I think, and if you watch that documentary, it's been going on for years. It's not like it's going away anytime soon. Yeah, when there's when there's money to be made, especially that much money, nation-building money, right? In some cases, when you're talking about Qatar and the World Cup and stuff like that, so yeah, people are always going to try to uh, take control of that power. And corruption seems to take hold no matter, you know, you follow the money, you'll see corruption nine times out of ten. So you know, we know that soccer, um, it's the most popular sport in the world, but it seems to take a backseat here in the United States. Uh, I know that you're kind of a sports fan in general, obviously, primarily soccer, but what's what's different about being a soccer fan in comparison to the more mainstream sports uh, that we're used to consuming as Americans? I think the fact that any town can have a club if the money's there, right? So Peoria somehow has a USL2 team. I would say that the average fan, most clubs have that sense of community. Those clubs go back out in the community and help build it up. If you watch, for Americans, if you watch Welcome to Wrexham, you'll see that on Hulu, how Wrexham was this blue-collar mining town, and the only thing that brought people together in this just sad environment was the Wrexham Football Club. It gives people a sense of pride of hope. Uh, it gives that thing of sport. Every town, I feel like most towns in America would love to have a sports team there, no matter how big or small, if it is a decent-sized town, and Peoria is. 
Um, I will say, and we'll talk about it a little bit. Have you ever seen the movie Green Street Hooligans? I have not. Okay. It's a really good story about an American who goes to West or to London. There's a club there called West Ham. And this is what separates, I think, fans. And there might there's not as many in the United States, but around the world with the average football supporter. So they have these things called firms. Uh, firms and football hooliganism is very popular. Think of it as someone who is literally willing to die for their team. It is their religion. There's a team in uh, there's a team uh, two teams in Serbia called uh, Red Red Star and Partisan, and they have gravestones outside for the stadiums of people who have died at the matches because of the fighting that's happened there. <laughs> it's insane. I know we see the drunk guys in the stands at like a Dodgers game and getting hauled by security. Um, but as a Man United fan, a few years ago, there was a player who went to a Champions League qual- or a Champions League match. Um, and as he was driving home, the taxi cab driver noticed he was wearing a Man United jersey. He was a Paris Saint Germain. He pulled out a knife and stabbed him right in the chest. When you go the game, you know how you can wear like a Packers jersey and a bear? You do not do that. When you go to any games in Europe, you wear all black. You try to conceal your jerseys. They even have strict rules about when away fans can leave the stadium. It is crazy. And and that's funny you mentioned that because, again, my friends from the U.K., we talked a little bit because they're American football fans uh, as well. And, you know, we kind of talked about the difference. And I'm like, man, you see some crazy stuff in an NFL game. I've seen beers thrown at a person wearing the wrong jersey and that kind of stuff. And then they, they kind of scoffed at me a little bit. And they, they told me a few stories. And uh, they did mention, they're like, you know, if we were walking down the street um, wearing a jersey of our team, there was someone that had a jersey of a different one, like you, you just turn and walk the other way. And I think the phrase they use is that there would be bother. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's just crazy to me. Like in, in one way, I mean, in one sense, I'm incredibly fascinated by the passion, but it's just insane, right? I mean, all for a game, but I, I mean, I don't know. We could talk about, you know, where is that line between like loyal, passionate fan and crazy person? It does bring a whole different element to being a fan if you think about it it is crazy and there was so the football hooliganism it's really there's also this element like in Lazio it's a team in Italy they are all known as a far-right extremist like supporters group there so not only are they interested but you'll see some questionable flags in the stands that you wouldn't ever see in America they will literally go like out and go on strike in the streets and fight the police. I mean, at the champ, there was a Naples and Napoli Eintracht Frankfurt, which is one of Germany's teams. The police had to come out with riot shields, literal fire cannons. They were throwing Molotov cocktails and flipping over cars. And the game hasn't even started yet. They call those things firms and they're slowly starting to die out of football, but think of them as small gangs. They will literally, so Leeds United, which is one of Man United's, Uh, They got this thing called the Battle of the Old Rose. They'll say, hey, we want to meet you up before the game on this street. And all they just want to do is fight. All they just want to do is throw hands before the match starts and just beat people up. And the police have to come in with a horse. It's crazy. And you never really, like, that's me. All right, Packers fans, meet me down at, you know, outside Soldier Field before the game starts. Let's just get in a big, giant fight. I'm sure you'd find a few that'd probably take you up on it. It, And maybe is what's... When it comes to, like, if we're comparing fans and we're talking about European soccer fans, or let's just say f- soccer fans outside of the U.S. and then U.S. fans that are fans of the main U.S. sports, like, is it just a difference in culture from Americans as fans to everyone else? I mean, do do we just not take it as seriously? I mean, not not even just soccer, but any sport. I mean, I think that there's some people who are absolutely crazy as fans, but on the larger scale, do we just not take it as seriously as the rest of the world? No, I think they're really, I think people are starting to be like, this is getting a little ridiculous over in those countries. They say this needs to stop. Like the game I was watching in Sweden yesterday, it got interrupted. I was like, why is this game? The other supporters group stole the other supporters flag, took flares and lit the banner on fire in the middle of the stadium. 
And then they had to stop the game and the other fans were going over there and they all wear these masks to protect themselves. And they had to do a whole thing. The whole broadcast booth was like, this is, we, we are so over this. We're getting sick and tired of this. There's no reason to act all. They're called ultras. Um, the United States supporter groups that for like MLS, they're not like that. They are, there might be like a few bad pockets, but they try not to demonstrate. I think it really is just a culturally thing of like, okay, at the end of the day, it is just a sport. I know that sport means a lot to you, but are you willing getting thrown up in jail for maybe a group of players who don't even care about you? They're not going to pay your bail fees or anything like that. So, no, I think it's starting to change, and they are really trying to put in initiatives at those federations to quit hooliganism. One thing I will say is really interesting is there's a lot of racism at the games in Europe where players will be called, you know, awful terms and the whole stadium joins in on it. They have to do like kick out, kick out racism campaigns. Look it up. There's a, there's a very, uh, Vinicius Jr. who plays for Real Madrid. He had to said enough is enough. I'm sick and tired of being called these racial terms by fans of whole entire stadiums during games. It has to stop. Now, I thought I was interested when you were talking about lighting flags on fire and stuff, but then obviously the racism stuff is just a totally different angle, and that's just doubling down on the crazy. From, like you said, the broadcasters expressed their sort of distaste of what was happening, and it would be frustrating, I think. I mean, especially when it's coming to the point where it's disrupting the action on the field. It's, even though it's annoying, it's like you want to act like an idiot in the stands, that's one thing, but when you're interrupting the game that's taking place, and at some point in time, if it were to continue or evolve and grow that crazy behavior, it's going to start impacting the money, right? It's going to start impacting the bottom line, whether it's you have people that stop coming to games because of the violence, or if you know if games can't be finished because things get out of hand. I mean, I don't know what all different circumstances could result from it, but I'm surprised that more action hadn't, hadn't been taken sooner to put a stop to it. Well, if you even look right under us in Mexico, two seasons ago against Queretaro and Atlas Guadalajara, there was a massive fight that broke out in the stadium. I'm surprised no one died from that from that situation because there were bodies, bloody bodies laying on the streets. People were fighting down there. Um, it was a fierce rivalry. There wasn't enough police. Imagine there was not enough security to control the anger. It looked like a war zone. Well, what happens? Number one, you get fined, and Queretaro was not allowed to have any fans at all in their stadium for like two two years. And they finally just last year got fans back into the stadium. So that's kind of ways that clubs are, are, are bothered. And the clubs will put out statements. We're really sorry we didn't mean this to happen. But the federations will step in and say you are not allowed to have any fans or at a reduced capacity or you're going to receive a fine because the players, the players can't control it. And the players will have to like run to the tunnels like that's how bad it gets sometimes. And they'll have to get riot shields out and everything like that. It's absolutely unreal. And I know I've said that multiple times, but it's just crazy that people could be that passionate about something about a game. Um, and I get being passionate. That's just a whole nother level of passionate uh, to the to the point where you're willing to kill and or die. Um, over a soccer game is, is nuts, and I I don't know. Maybe maybe in some in some cases, I mean, I know soccer is very popular in like third world countries and and other places. Maybe they just feel like it's the best thing they got going, man. So they're just putting all their chips in that basket, going all in on the football team. But uh, you mentioned earlier how you know soccer is one of those things that can exist anywhere, and you know we are seeing it grow in the U.S. We're seeing the popularity grow. And there are, you know, our soccer clubs of varying levels are popping up um, in different cities across the country, uh, including, as we know, Peoria, Illinois. So uh, tell us a little bit about how Peoria City came to be, um, the league they play in, and how it's become a part of your life. So I remember a few years ago, right when I graduated from school, there was an ownership group that came into Peoria, Illinois. And they decided that they wanted to put a semi-professional soccer team here. And I can kind of go over a little bit of the structure of how it works in the United States, because there's actually two, there's many leagues, but MLS is really one of the only ones that you see on TV. Um, so COVID derails the season for a few years. Finally, and two, I remember the day the club, I was like, I want to work for this club. 
I want to go get a job here. Like I was like trying to call down the city council. There was no website. I was like, who is Peoria city? How can I get a full-time gig here? I really, really just, this is my passion. My passion's always uh, has been to work for a football club still to this day. So I couldn't find anything. And uh, I go to the, you know, I go to these games. Well, first off, let's give a, an overview of how the league works. So top of the flight, technically of the United States is MLS. Messi's there's right now. You know, there's tons of high name profile players who are coming over here within the last few years. Then there's a thing called USL. There's USL Championship. There is USL, USL 1, and then USL 2. Then there's like a USL Academy. They also have women's leagues in there, which is super cool as well, because that's making a big rise. So USL 2 comprises of semi semi-pro athletes and they're mostly just college kids who come here for the summer and play and they don't get paid we, they get they they're provided housing think of it as like d3 football it's all for passion of the game there's that small chance that you're going to get noticed by a big club or maybe a youth academy somewhere and make it big we had a lot of kids like that this year we had a few from england we had we've had kids from Denmark. We've had kids from Germany, Ireland, all just playing in Peoria, Illinois. And I love talking about the culture shock that they see here. That's fascinating. I didn't. I guess I didn't realize that it extended beyond our borders in terms of uh, where players are coming from. Uh, I think that's probably. Uh, I definitely understand your comparison when you compare it to D three football. Uh, there have definitely been good players that have come from Division three football, but it's it's not common. Um, it's it's definitely a labor of love at that point and i'm surprised to hear they don't get paid at all and maybe you know the housing in and of itself is you know that's that's probably a a big time perk obviously that alleviates a a large expense but um the fact that they they don't get anything is a little surprising to me i am fascinated to hear though more about the culture shock and what you've experienced i'm sure you've kind of gotten to know the players a little bit so i want to know about that some and and how you've come to be uh the president of the support group and all that stuff. Before we move on, some teams are able to pay players. Some. One of those teams is Des Moines Menace. They are owned by the president of Come and Go Gas Stations, who also owns Parma and City B in Italy. So it's a second tier team in Italy that used to play in the top flight. Their coach drives a brand new Jaguar. They put them in these high rise apartments. Most of them are D1 or just kids that say, hey, there's this really good youth. There's this really good team that plays in the middle of Iowa that they've had. I think it's like 100 plus players make it on to like different leagues around the world. So at Peoria, we don't have the facilities nor the funds for that. And most teams don't. But when you get a lucky owner like they do, who owns a team over in Italy, that's probably worth, I don't know, 30 to 40, maybe even 100 million dollars. He can shell out a little bit of money. Let's kind of go back to how the 309 started. The club always said that they wanted a supporters group to not be founded by the club. Most supporter groups in the United States and the world aren't sponsored or made by the club. They want that to be its own separate entity. That's what's unique to sports. Think of like the dog pound with the Cleveland Browns, like that's little rowdy fan section. But really it is, we want some random person to come out and make a supporters group. And they kept saying, we want to do this organically. So I go to the first game of the season. I'm just like sitting around. I was like, okay, this is a dead environment. Like there's a little bit of chanting here, a little bit of pocket. Like, oh yeah, so much fun. So I remember I got home and I walked up to my computer and I said, I'm going to make a Facebook page. I'm going to just call it the 309, our area code. And it's going to be a supporters group. And maybe five people will join with me and get drunk in the in tailgate in the parking lot make some noise, get some chance going, and we'll just see what happens. It's a small team. I don't know how many people will join. So remember, like, after a week of making it, I was already, like, 75 members. And I was like, the club, like, I kind of just commented on a post. I was like, hey, guys, my name's Drew. I'm, I'm opening up a supporters group. We like to get rowdy. We like to have fun. We have, now we have drums this year, but it's, like, smoke bombs, drums. We're going to try to make TIFOs. We have these really ingenuitive chance we like to give slander straight to the players the whole 90 minutes that not our players of course we hype them up um and now to this day we're at 420 plus members in two years that's incredible man so i have some questions um are these 
you mentioned drums, smoke bombs. Uh, you said one word that I, I didn't necessarily know what it was. Uh, and then chants, slander. And so are these staples of a support group? I mean, are these things that are ingrained in like football culture around the world? Yeah. So TIFOs, these are fan-made banners. Once you get done with this, look up Borussia Dortmund, or if you're even on here right now, right now, look up Borussia Dortmund TIFOs. These are T-I-F-O-S. These are just fan-made. They're they're amazing. You won't see it in any other sport. Maybe maybe international basketball, but most. I mean, they they take time out where like they'll even have them move across the stadium. We don't have those facilities here uh, <laughs> at the stadium, but we try to do with what we got. Nice. So, do you know, like, like I said, like the drums, the smoke, the smoke bombs, the other thing. So, these are all, like I said, these are all very common. I mean, obviously, I've seen internet, you know, video of international games, and it looks like a, a damn war zone sometimes. But uh, so, you're trying to bring that environment, though, right? So, to the 309. Yep, and in a friendly manner. We have kids who come down with us. Uh, we even let the kids play the drums. We have like a bait. It's going to sound really embarrassing, but they wanted to do it. We did a baby carp champ this year. Think of baby shark. Except we're known as the, we are known as the carp now rebranded to Kopi, but we will stay with it. We're called the Peoria city flying carp. Um, we even had carp tacos, rangoons and empanadas made this season out of the Kopi. And they were absolutely amazing. Nice. So yeah, being that type of environment, smoke bombs we're getting next year. We're all privately funded. So I actually made this scarf this season. We sold it for $25 a pop. And all proceeds went back into the fund to help pay for stickers, for TIFOs, for everything. We don't, we all rely on donations. It's not like we're trying to make a buck or anything out of it. So I've got to ask, do you get the kids involved with the slander? Yes. <laughs> we, we, we try not to. We try to not have them say bad words. But as we noticed at the end of the year, there was one player for one team who was just awful. And this kid was down right in front of his face saying, are you blind? Do you not know how to play? You're the worst goalkeeper that I've ever watched in my life. He just kept slandering this keeper. And I'm looking around and I'm like, this kid down here, this kid has some passion. Like I would never have the guts to say it right to a player's face. But yeah, the kids get the kid. And then if they're like flopping or they're diving, we all get like flopper, flopper. and then like. We've had players even give us stuff back. Like we were at Springfield a few weeks ago and across the stadium, we said, get up. And he's like, F off. And, and you could hear a pin drop in this stadium because we were the only ones making noise. We brought our drums with us. So then we started doing like 18's a wanker, da, 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 like getting in his head. And he gets a, he gets a red card later in the game. And, and it was just awesome. So, yeah, we do try to get into players' heads. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's always great when you're uh, when you're getting on a player in, in any sport, right, as a fan, and they react in some way. It's just the best. There's 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 no better feeling other than winning as a fan. I, I don't think there's a better feeling than than getting a reaction out of a, an opposing player with some of your smack talk. Um, so, when it comes to support groups, how do you guys stack up in the league versus the other? The other club support groups so usl2 is a very small small ran clubs i haven't been able to see the kind of numbers uh i know des moines has so des moines that like i'm, I'm going to keep mentioning them because we're really well connected with them we actually had the leader come down and talk to us during one of our tailgating sessions we actually did a scarf swap they gave us some stickers she said she was very impressed with what we have here now we have a lot of 309 members in the supporters groups but we only we we actually maybe only average about a thousand to a thousand five hundred a game at Shea Stadium. Last game somehow we got two thousand one hundred. Most places around you're gonna only see about those top tier clubs I'm talking about that have been around for a long time six thousand five thousand. Last night uh, a team out of Arkansas was able to beat. So they had seven thousand people at a game, which was wow. crazy. Uh, I would say our supporters group is, is very healthy. And how I know it's healthy is when I go out in the public, um, it's always crazy when someone stops and says, hey, you're that 309 guy. And I'm like, oh, boy. I was like, I got to be careful when I'm going down to Jimmy's. On the, you never know who's going to run into me when I'm at the bars and making sure I'm representing myself fine. So, yeah, it's we know that we're being noticed around the community. And we've had a few 
articles and news clips done on us on us as well. Yeah, I've seen a little bit of that, man. And uh, that's awesome, though. It's a good recruiting opportunity. You get out in the public, people know who you are, and you try to reel them in. Our supporters groups, we kind of are following the United States blueprint, even though some teams in Europe do this. Number one, it's about the games, but number two, it's about helping the community as well. Um, right. We want to we're, we're, we're very passionate members of the community. So we go through fundraising. We're trying to get a nonprofit status. Most of the club, their supporters groups in the United States have those for tax purposes or whether it is just doing some really cool stuff. So there was a drum line that comes to Peoria City Games um, uh, through the Dream Center uh, down in Peoria. Um, as you know, Dream Center, these kids are inner city students who may not have the money, but they have the passion for something. And one of those is playing the drums. And we noticed the equipment was kind of a little bit out of whack. Um, so I posted something. I said, I really want to raise some money for these kids. They come to every game. They make tons of noise. They play the drums with us. They're passionate. We all got them scarves. But last year we raised over $550 for them. So even the coach donated $100 of his own money to the cause. So we were able to get them all new equipment. And uh, we even raised even more money for them last uh, two Sundays ago for our last game at home. And hopefully next year we're going to try to do a kicking out for cancer night or something like that for St. Jude. That really just kind of going back out. I'm going to try to work with industry brewing to get like a 309 IPA or Irish ale or something like that as well. But really just going out in the community and doing good as well on behalf of the 309 on behalf of Peoria City. That's fantastic. And if you're listening to this and you live in the Peoria area at all and you needed any reason to go check out this club and what they're doing like that that's it right i mean i don't care if you don't think that you're a soccer fan you know hearing how passionate you are and, and by nature the whole 309 and i'm sure it extends down to the club itself you know it, it's about more than the game like you said it's about building community supporting the community and you guys have put your money where your mouth is right and and that's fantastic um i think that to me right now, like that's, I mean, everything else you're doing is, is really awesome and impressive, but that what you just said is it stands alone as far as showing your own personal character and integrity, but also, you know, that of the organization that you're building and representing. So uh, I think that's absolutely fantastic. And you mentioned the coach kind of pitching in and that, that made me wonder how much, you know, how much support do you guys have or connection do you guys have with the coach and the players? Um, is there a lot of continuity there? Um, are, are they all on board with what you guys are doing? Yeah. So, uh, it's first off, I haven't, I don't do everything by myself either. I have a really great leadership team, so I give as much props to them as well. We're only a few members, but it's nice to see that you, you're, you're from the area. So it's, it's always great to hear that type of feedback from people in the area. Hey, so you need to make sure, listen, so I'm telling you right now, you need to make sure, you need to make sure I put my money where my mouth is. I'm telling all these other people they need to come out and watch a game and support the 309 and, and Pure City. So you make sure next season that my ass gets out there and does the same. And everyone watches this and supports you as well. Yeah, we got to get you the one game. Maybe get some old people from high school that I know will get them all out there and everything like that. So, so the it's so funny. The coaches came and gave me a big hug at the end of the season last year when we cl clinched the playoffs uh, for USL. So there is a playoff format here Great. because there's more than 100 plus teams in USL, too. That's how massive it is. There's so many different divisions. Um, so you might get matched up a team all the way from the West Coast in California. You've never played them. You've never seen tape on them. But the, co the coach gave and gave me a big hug, the general manager. Tim Regan, last year, Ruben Resendez was our coach. He now coaches at Bryant University out of Rhode Island. D1 schools, their soccer coach. We're really fortunate this year to have former MLS player Tim Regan um, as our head coach here at Peoria City. And, uh, you know, he coached the Indy 11 um, and he played, like I said, for MLS teams. So he knows what those supporter groups are like. He knows what the supporter groups like in Indy 11 and Indianapolis, because that's a USL championship, right? What I talked about earlier. So a bigger club, they're about to build a billion dollar stadium. They just, they just love us. After every goal, they run over to the 309. I have videos of kids playing the drums. And, and, and or like the players, literally, we had one guy like start going on the drums. We do a, a Viking clap at the end where we all spell out P E O. I don't know if you've ever seen the Viking national or they, the, the, uh, the Icelandic national team will do like a little, little clap. 
It's really cool. Look it up sometime. But I mean, I follow these guys all on Instagram. They always message me. Thank you so much for what you're doing. This is the best atmosphere. I've never had this in my whole year. One of our kids plays uh, for a youth academy in Denmark, but he's playing in the United States because he's going to college here. And he goes, what you do is just is just crazy. When we were at Springfield a few, a few weeks ago, we sat right behind the players and the coach because there was no one at SHG Stadium. And we got the players even doing the chance with us. And uh, they said it felt like a home game. They felt like they weren't even away from home. So they're awesome. They will stay after games and sign all the kids' autographs, talk to them for hours. Like I said, we have a lot of people that are down in the 309 with us during the games in the Shea Brigade. But, yeah, and, and we I just spoke with the club contact last week, and he says the club told him that they need to keep supporting the 309 as best as they can because we really do mean a lot. And in terms of recruitment as well, getting the people at games. No, 100%. I mean, there's there's no doubt that what you guys are doing, especially for a uh, what I'll call a minor league, football club it is fantastic and like you said there are support groups around and some better than others but to to have what you guys have right here in peoria is is really impressive i love it i love it we're talking about this stuff because this plays in exactly what i want you know this podcast to be about is fans talking about their fandom right and and their passion that is wrapped up in it and so there's no doubt that you're absolutely passionate about what you're doing with the 309 and peoria city and just soccer in general so that's wonderful. So I have, uh, you know, I know that your your fandom extends uh, beyond the football pitch, as I know. And so I'm curious, what are some other uh, sports and teams that you do follow beyond Peoria City and outside of the realm of soccer? So I'm actually looking at my hat right now. So for MLB, I am a uh, a Toronto Blue Jays fan probably the only one you'll meet in the state of Illinois. You, you probably remember me wearing my Blue Jays gear back in the day as well. I do. Uh, for, for NFL, I'm a sad and depressed Indianapolis Colts fan. I know it's a tough time right now, and those jerseys are absolutely hideous. That belongs – that's a that's a training uh, – well, okay, I want to – hold on. What do you think about those jerseys? Just the Colts jerseys, the regular Colts jerseys? The new ones, they came out with like that blue weird digiprint. Did you see those yet? Oh, I haven't seen. Is it just like a, is it just for a special game or something? Like, or, or is it going to be the new uniform? I hope they're not changing the, the uniforms. I think they're the new uniforms. They're going to wear a black helmet. No. You got to look it up. Dude, I bet you that that's got to be just for like the color rush or whatever. The one, you know, it's got to be just an alternate. There's no way. There's no way in hell that the Colts are going to go away from the classic look. I really, I really don't want it to happen. That team's depressed me so much. I remember going to the games in junior high, watching them tank for Andrew Luck, and I remember they lost to the Browns when we did a a, a, a JFL trip up there. And I was like, this is so depressing. And then they ruined Andrew Luck's career, and it's just, I'm just waiting for something good to happen for once. It's been such a long time where I'm like, I actually want to sit down and watch a Colts game. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Uh... It may have to wait until after Jim Irsay has moved along uh, before that happens. He's just, you know, there's there's a handful of those owners throughout the league that uh, that just can't help themselves, and he's one of them. And unfortunately, the teams suffer because of it. And it's kind of similar to uh, not to get too far off track, but you think about it, the meddling, the the classic meddling owners, Jerry Jones, Irsay. You know, you had Daniel Snyder in Washington. What do they all have in common? Well, they haven't been very damn good. Uh, or at least, you know, competing for championships in a while. And in all of them, though, like, and especially Jerry Jones and Jim Irsay, they kind of got lucky earlier on, had, you know, it's like they, they got generational talent. You know, you had, you know, the Cowboys got Troy Aikman, Emmitt Smith, Michael Irvin, you know, the Colts had Peyton Manning, Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, Edron James, you know, we could go on. So th they had these great rosters that went on these runs, won championships, and they thought that, that basically made them geniuses. They they anointed themselves as the, as the smartest guy in the room as a result of that. And it's kind of hindered their ability to let their GMs do their job moving forward. You know, so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what takes place, um, you know, with the Colts moving forward. But no, I, I hope that they're not going with the crappy jerseys. I, I like you. I got to go play a game over there um, in the old stadium, the RCA Dome, when I was in JFL. Uh, I got to tag along with the JFL a couple of times when I was coaching, which was fun. So 
So beyond that, I know you mentioned kind of off air that you're also really into international basketball. I'm into international basketball. Um, I'm into Aussie football rules. So if you ever want to watch the craziest sport known to mankind, turn on some AFL, 1 a.m. in the weekend. I'm an Adelaide Crows fan, so I actually have some Adelaide gear that I'll wear at my games. It is the most chaotic sport. There's one American that plays over there. His name's Mason Cox. He played basketball at uh, Oklahoma State University. That's a great sport. International basketball as well. Those fans, I would say a lot of those. So a lot of these clubs in Europe also own those retrospective teams in international basketball. So those passionate soccer fans or football fans, like in part, like in Serbia, the partisan guys I was telling you about, there's a partisan versus Red Star basketball game. And it is just like, like, that's why, like, when Jokic was like, fans boo me, I've literally had, like, I've played in some of the worst environments known to mankind in Serbia. Like, I'm not worried about it because, like, they, it is like flares inside the stadium, banners, confetti cannons. Look up a partisan, like, a partisan derby basketball game in EuroLeague. It is insane. <laughs> it's fascinating because it's almost like two groups of people that don't like each other. And so what they decided to do is just create sports teams that can compete against one another as a means to assert their dominance. Yep. And they'll fight at those games just like they do. At least I don't think anyone gets killed at partisan games. International basketball, I'd say my team that I really follow the most is the Perth Wildcats out of Australia. Uh, so so Bryce Cotton plays there. They had Luke Tavers, who was a potential in the NBA Summer League with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, Matthew Dallavadova played for Melbourne United there. A lot of good talent. Didn't make the NBA or the G League plays out of Australia. And they have that's where Ball played. He played for Illawarra Hawks uh, before he decided to go into the NBA. So it's a really fun league. And for any degenerates out there that want to stay up till three or two o'clock in the morning, like me and sacrifice your own hours of sleep to watch your team play by means, do it. But I'm at that age where I can do it right now. There you go. That's fantastic. So, you know, especially talking about these international fans, you know, especially in regards to football and international basketball and, and how loyal they are. It, it makes it, it makes me want to ask you the question of, you know, I want to know what your thoughts are on fan loyalty, because I think we see a few different forms of it that exist. Right. You know, we see the fans who are loyal to a team. We see fans who are loyal to star players and will be a fan of the player wherever the player goes. And then, of course, you see your fans that are going to jump on the bandwagon of whoever the hottest team is right now. You know, where does your loyalty lie on this scale? You know, what do you think of fans that you would consider to be more or less loyal than you are? I think every, I think every team has those kind of Fayweather fans that follow their same player. You see that a lot with Messi's and a lot of Ronaldo fanboys. But I would say overall, for the most part, because those people are so heavily invested into those communities and those clubs, they'll back the club over any player. There's my favorite manager of of all time, Sir Alex Ferguson. He is the greatest. You can call him the goat. People will disagree. Coach Manchester United, he said, no player is bigger than the club, no matter what kind of, and like it says, it translates to like the NFL, no player, no, like bigger than any team here in the United States. I would say, so say, for example, there's a team in Spain, Real Madrid. Uh, when those players leave, they'll throw bricks at their Mercedes as they're going out of the stadium. Like they'll damage their cars. Like you're ridiculous. Why are you leaving us? Especially if they go to Barcelona or a rival, they'll try to flip their cars over. So the loyalty's there to literally die for that club, and they don't really let one player – like they might like them on the side burners, but that's why those those derbies are so intense because of the loyalty that people have where they went. They'll talk about that for like the next 15 years of their life. Oh, I remember I was at this stadium. When I, and I mean, yeah, United States, like they will literally get in arguments like your club is garbage. This is why. International basketball, I think it's just kind of like everything else. People kind of like to follow what teams they go to. I think uh, football has its own unique culture, though. I support a few teams. Um, I don't know if you'll want to, if you, I can list a few off, but it's not like in order. So it's like Germany, Manchester United. Then I have like my weird little teams that I have these weird fascinations with. So Los Tigres down in Mexico. Uh, Union Berlin in Germany, but I'm not heavily invested with those clubs. I just really like their stories, but it's not like 
I'm going to go out of my way to purchase thousands of dollars of merchandise like I have for St. Louis City or Peoria City or Manchester United. So, um, but my loyalty, I could never see myself just, even though if you want to look up a really bad case, our owners at Manchester United, they're known as the Glazer family. They own the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They are hated in Manchester to the fact where the owners won't even show up at games anymore because they're scared for their safety. Man United fans will go on the pitch and literally they even the, the the there was a guy named Ed Woodward. They went to his house one night with flares while his family was asleep and tried storming the gates of the house to get into the house and were like spitting on him. And he eventually said, like, I have to quit doing my job. Like they hate the Glazers. There's these huge movements called Glazers Out. I mean, that's how loyal people are to the club. Not the owner. They're loyal to the club. And that's why Manchester United's having some, we're trying to get a new ownership group right now. It's incredible, right? That you can get people together and so passionate and like motivated to invoke change in regards to something like a football club, right? And then you have all the issues of the world that we all just want to point fingers at each other about. But that's a conversation for another day. But I think uh, one thing I found fascinating that ties into what you're saying when I, like, again, to bring up my friends from the UK that are, uh, big football fans is, you know, they could not wrap their head around the idea, and not that it's super common here in in America, but uh, could not wrap their heads around the idea of fans like changing their allegiance at some point to another team or club. Um, it just it, it was unfathomable um, to them. So I, I mean, is it something that I mean? I think anybody, if you hear one one day you're a fan of this team, the next day you're a fan of this team, most people aren't going to take you seriously, anyways. But is that something that's really frowned upon like in the world of football? I think so. I think people can smell it, right? If you're going to be an, uh, a Man United fan and go be a Liverpool fan, which is our mortal enemy, the, the Scousers from Maryside, or you have Manchester City and then there's a Manchester United there, like you just you don't you don't really do that. It's frowned upon. You're going to get a lot of stick from your mates for it. Um, but uh, I, I would say it's just like a bandwagon fan who – Jumps from Golden State to, you know, their next team. They're not going to be taken seriously. You know where the real fans are at. Those are the ones who I'm telling you about earlier are literally willing to die for their team. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, And, you know, that's one of the things that I'm going to take away from this uh, this episode the most is just the absolute intensity um, of European or just international football fans. Because you, you you mentioned it extends to, to Mexico and Serbia and all these other places. So, um, you know, before we get off or get out of here, uh, do you have any parting words, uh, for the listeners or anyone out there? Yeah. Um, I'm going to drop, or if, if, if coach can put a link down below, it will be a, a link to the 309 fan page. We don't only cover Peoria city sports in there, but we cover all the big leagues as well. Um, if you're interested in just asking about the game and you need some sort of social media, the coach can always can provide that to you. I'm sure as well. Um, I'm pretty active on social media. He can tell you that. So like I said, it, I, I've actually converted a recent friend of mine who would only be a college football fan. He used to make fun of me for watching soccer. He said, I'll never get into that sport. It's not attractive. It's it's nothing. The man became a Manchester City fan just to piss me off because he knew that I'm a Man United <laughs> fan. And he has fallen in love with it. We're sitting here watching a game a few weeks ago. And he goes, I just, I got to say thank you so much for showing me this sport. It's completely changed my life. I was so impressed because I was like, really? You used to make fun of me for watching this all the time in college. I'd wear all my college soccer. I'd wear my football jerseys to football practice. And and it's an easy sport to pick up. And once you develop a passion for that, find a local club in your community. Get involved. You don't have to start a supporters group. There might already be one there. But it is the fastest growing sport right now with Messi coming to the United States. It's going to make this sport implode here. So jump on it while you can now and get ready because not only that, we got the World Cup being hosted here. We have um, we have a big South American competition who is now coming to the United States to be here. I mean, we're having uh, the Club World Cup be hosted here. I mean, we're having so many tournaments here in the next few years that there's no excuse not to go catch a match. That's fantastic. Um, we'll make sure definitely we'll make sure we put your uh, the links to the 309 Facebook page and social medias below. 
Uh, we'll put your Twitter tag or Instagram, whatever you want us to put down there so people can reach out to you and can get in touch with the 309 and see what you got going on there. Um, I want to thank you so much for your time, Drew. I appreciate it. It's been a long time. And uh, for those of you who aren't aware, I coached uh, I coached Drew in high school football. Uh, it's been a while, but 10 or so years ago, probably. So, you know, so it's nice to kind of reconnect through this, man. And I got to tell you, honestly, and I mean this, uh, I'm proud of you, man. I'm really proud of you. And, and especially, you know, for the young man you become and what you're doing right now with uh, especially the stuff with the Peoria City and the stuff in the community. And uh, it's just awesome. It's awesome to see that. And so I couldn't thank you enough for your time. So I really, really do appreciate that. Well, thanks for having me on. And you remember, I I joke about it with my dad. My dad says one day, hey, you should go down and tell the varsity team. You should, you you think you're good enough to play on the varsity. So I go to Coach Yoakum and I say, yeah, my dad says, he goes, go down the locker room and never come back. He goes, you are done practicing (laughs) for the day. I was like, but my dad, he's like, is your dad the coach? So. No, it's been that means a lot to me, and 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 I still call you coach to this day. You know, I still I'll only refer to you for that for the rest of my life. So, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. I really like what you're doing here, and hopefully, I can always pop back up in the future and talk about more stuff. So, this was great today. Oh, absolutely, we'll do this again for sure, and uh, definitely give you. I mean, you're an expert when it comes to the world of, of soccer, football, whatever you want to call it. So, I, I'm more than happy to give you the opportunity to come on here and and spread the word. So. Uh, yeah, so everybody out there, you can see scrolling across the ticker. You can find Iceman and Coach Podcast on TikTok. You can uh, find us on Twitter, or you can reach out to the Maddie Ice Media Network. Also, Fan to Fan is an entity of INC Sports and a product of the Maddie Ice Network. And if you are interested in exploring more sports content, be sure to check out the Iceman and Coach Sports Show, where you can find myself and the Iceman, Maddie Ice, uh, Flashing the Leather, Cornerman, and more. So, to all you fans out there, Stay loyal, stay passionate, and most of all, stay classy. This is Fan the Fan. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on INC Sports are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. INC Sports is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.